So as those are going out, just want to let anyone here that doesn't know this, let, let you know that we're coming through this letter to the Colossians right now. So we've been coming verse by verse, passage by passage, coming through Colossians. And where we land today is chapter 3, and we're in verses 7 and 8. Anybody else not have one of those? Colossians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. So look at it with me. We're going to read this passage and then ask the Lord to help us as we dig in here today, okay? Chosen verse 7. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your precious word, Lord. God, I pray that through your word, please, Lord, that you would speak to us today. Don't hide your face from us, Lord. Don't hide your face from us, Lord. Lest we be like those who go down into the pit. But rather, Lord, reveal yourself to us, Lord. Speak to our souls. Move us. Convict us where conviction needs to come. Encourage our souls where encouragement and comfort needs to come, Lord. Please. Lord, you said you walk. In the midst of the lampstands, you walk in the midst of your churches. And I pray, God, that you would be with us, present with us today. As we open your word right now. We love you, Lord. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This uh, passage that we're in, this, these two sentences here are very clearly connected to chapter 3, verse 5. And everything that was taught last week. Uh, by Dustin in verses 5 and verse 6. And so I want to give kind of a quick review because it's very clear that my passage today in verse 7 and 8 is connected all the way back into verse 5. So let me just kind of give a review here. I've got four points of review I want to walk through as we enter into going through these two sentences phrase by phrase. So first thing I want to mention here is indwelling sin. Indwelling sin, I want us to know that indwelling sin is a reality for us all. And where am I getting that from? It's not my idea. It's not Dustin's idea. That's coming straight out of chapter 3, verse 5, when it says that we're to put to death what? What is earthly in you. So something in you that is earthly. Indwelling sin is what we're talking about here. He's writing to these Colossian Christians about putting to death their indwelling sin. If you don't believe this about yourself... You have an indwelling sin that you must make war on, then you'll be less likely to fight it. You'll be less likely to make war on it. If you deny this reality, you will not feel your need to kill sin. So I want us to know this reality of indwelling sin. Now, different categories are given to us of indwelling sin in Colossians 3. Uh, in, in verses 5 and 6, we see uh, categories of, of sin in relation to sex and money. 
And we see in the passage we're in today, verse 7 and 8, sin in, in relation to sinful anger. Uh, and, and it flows out into things like slander or lovelessness. We, get, we have that in verses 7 and 8. So we have a different list of sins here. Sins in relation to sex and money and anger and slander and things along these lines. And I'm thinking, man, this, this is amazing. The Holy Spirit is not only an expert in Jesus, He's an expert in the human nature. He knows exactly what we need to hear when He walks through these lists of sins. And so we're going to walk through a Holy Spirit-inspired breakdown of who we are and what we need to fight against. So that's the first thing in dwelling sin. Second thing is that we need to kill it. We need to kill it. Okay, The posture of a Christian as he or she relates to sin is to be a warlike stance that looks out. And any sin that reveals itself, he murders it. She murders it. She kills this sin. That's the posture that we're supposed to take towards sin. Verse 5. Put to death. Put to death what is earthly in you. So our job as Christians is not to poke at sin. It's not to stab it. It's not to really be unhappy about it. It's to kill it. It's to murder it. Destroy it. Render it dead. That's what we're supposed to do with sin. And this is a call to every single Christian. Not just elite Christians. Not just baby Christians. But men and women. Young and old. Mature. Immature. All are called to this. There's a saying. Mature men. Murder sin. Babes in Christ, kill your vice. All of us are called to this. Do you see in your own self a need to fight sin? To fight indwelling sin? And do you take in your life this posture that Dustin spoke about last week out of these verses? This posture of wartime, make war on sin reality. Do you take that posture in your life? I want us to think about that. Third thing here, I want us to talk about what's at stake. The stakes are very, very high over what we're talking about. This topic, the stakes are high. We must take indwelling sin very seriously. Think about the motivators that the Holy Spirit uses in this passage of Scripture to tell us to take this seriously. It's not a joke. Think about the motivators. In verse 4, He tells us to kill sin in light of the fact that Christ is coming back soon. When He splits the sky, you are not gonna, you're not going to want to be found by Him trifling with sin. And also we see in verse 6, He attaches this statement to sin killing. Listen to the motivation of how serious this is. The statement in verse 6 goes like this. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't mince words right here. It's be killing sin or beware of the wrath to come. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. This is the posture that we take. It's very, very important. We all, you guys know this, we all have a tendency in our human nature to take sin. Way too lightly. We're, we're very tempted to think that we can take a fire into our chest and not be burned. And I think sin constantly whispers to us something like this. Peace, peace. When there is no peace. And the Holy Spirit whispers to you, even screams to you, not peace with sin, but make war with it. Destroy it. Kill it. 
Thanks, sinful humanity does not see the sinfulness of sin, the seriousness about killing sin. And here's how the writer of, of Psalm 94 says it in verse 7. He says it like this. They say the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of people. Fools, when will you be wise? One more thought. On the high stakes of sin killing in your life. I want you to think about the opinion of Jesus that we find in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read that to us quickly. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29 and 30. Listen to the seriousness with which we should go after sin killing. In verse 29 he says, if your right hand, this is opinion of Jesus. If your, right eye, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, listen to the serious nature of this. Cut it off. Throw it away. Listen to the consequences. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. It's a very serious thing. The stakes are high when we think about indwelling sin and our call by God to kill it, murder it. Last thing I'll say is this as we move in to an exposition of verse 7 and 8. Last thing I'll say is this is, is number four, how do you kill sin? Very quickly, if we're, if we're geared up to go after killing and dwelling sin in our life, well, how do we do something like that? And a lot could be said here that must be left for another time. Uh, last week, Dustin referred everybody to a book by John Owen called The Mortification of Sin as a resource of how to go after sin killing in your life. But let me just mention two very quick things this morning. Let me just mention two things about how to kill sin in general to go after this. Number one is starve it. And number two is overwhelm it with the weapons of grace. So number one, starve it. Starve your sin. Romans 13 verse 14, it says, put on Christ and don't leave any provision. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires and its lusts. Don't do that. Don't leave any provision. Starve it. What are those things in your life that tear away your affections away from Christ and your affections go to something else? It can be good things, bad things, neutral things. It doesn't matter. But identify what are those things that feed into indwelling sin and you find your affections being somewhere outside of Jesus Christ the Lord. And I'm telling you, starve it. Make no provisions from the flesh. It's worth it to put away even neutral things, even good things, and especially bad things to go after affections for Christ. Affections that are aflame for Him. And secondly, I said, take up the weapons of grace that God has given. Think about His Word. How do you kill sin? Your Word is hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Take up the weapon, the means of grace of the Word of God to kill sin in your life. Take up the means of grace, the weapons of grace to, of prayer and of fasting. Think about the weapon of grace of the body of Christ. Confessing sins to one another. Being quick. Not to hold your indwelling sin in, but to confess it to your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Sin hates that when you drag it from the darkness into the light. So this is the idea. Starve it. And God has given you an abundance of weapons of grace to go after, to overwhelm your sin 
with weapons of grace and, and employ them. So I want you to take this mindset of sin killing into this passage of Scripture that we're in right here. These two sentences in verse 7 and verse 8. Okay, Let's, let's read them one more time here. Look at it. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. What's the plain sense of this? The plain sense is, listen, you, you once lived and walked in these sins. You once lived and walked in these sins. But now something has changed and you are to walk in them no more. And then a list of sins is given to us to kill. This starts with this inward sinful anger and it flows out into this tongue that wants to harm other people. So let's take it phrase by phrase. First two words, in these... In these. The these right here is referring to sin. In these sins. The these of verse 7 is the same these of verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you once walked when you lived in them. It's talking about sin right here. So in a general sense, these is referring to what is earthly in you. You're indwelling sin. And then you get these specific lists. Sins of sex and money in verse 5 and 6. Sins in relation to those things. And in verse 7 and 8 we have this list of sins that we're going to get into today. I think this phrase should remind us. In verse 7 this phrase should remind us that all of us have found ourselves at one point in our lives abiding under the wrath of God. Every single one of us abiding under the wrath of God that could have been dropped on us at any moment, but God was patient. And we should remember that because in verse 6 it says what? On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and in these you once walked and lived. You were under the wrath of God, every single one of us, at one point. This brings us to the next phrase. Look at it right here. In these, here it is. You too once walked when you were living in them. You too once walked in these sins when you were living in them. And this, this phrase puts all of the Colossian church, all the Christians there, and all the Christians, all of the world, all of us who are in Christ Jesus, it puts us all in the same boat that every single one of us have walked in these sins. In fact, we've lived in them. Every single one of us have done that. This should cause us to release our false views of ourselves. We say, yeah, 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 I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. But you know, when it comes down to it, I'm a pretty good person, pretty decent person. We ought to just throw that out the window. This says you walked in sin. In fact, you lived in sin. It was your home. It's your dwelling place. Living in sin right here is the foundation of for the walking in sin that's mentioned here. We walked in these sins when we also lived in them. The foundation is living in the sin. And what comes springs out of that is the, the walking in the sin. You see that, for example, in the opposite way in Galatians 5.25. Galatians 5.25 says this. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Foundation, live in the Spirit. The fruit of that, or the obvious conclusion of that, is you then need to walk in the Spirit. And that's the idea here. Living in sin is the foundation of 
walking in sin. So what the Spirit of God, through the Apostle Paul, is trying to show us right here, he's trying to show the Colossian Christians and all of us how ridiculous and how terrible it would be for you to continue walking in sin. And he does this by stripping out the foundation. You understand that? Why would you continue to walk in it? You live in it no more. So he strips out the foundation to show us that it's ridiculous and terrible that we would continue in sin. Think about it like this. You lived in sin at one point. Sin was your home, your dwelling place. Therefore, walking in sin was not ridiculous. It made sense that you would walk in sin. Living in sin shows the power that it had over you. And walking in sin shows the obvious result of that power sin had in your life. But now you don't live in it. The power of sin has been snapped by the strong arm of Jesus. And you don't have to walk in it anymore. You're set free from it. God in Christ and through His glorious death on the cross has dealt with your living in sin so that you might deal with your walking in sin by His grace. I want us, before we move on from this phrase, I want us to remember something. I want us to remember the unpleasantness of that time when you lived in sin and walked in it. I just want you to think about how unpleasant that was in your former state. You walked in it, you lived in it, and it was miserable. There might have been flashes of happiness and false joy, but it's miserable and bitter in the end. Listen to how Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, Christian, what hast thou to do with sin? Has it not cost you enough already? Burnt child, will you play with the fire? What? When thou hast already been between the jaws of the lion, will you step a second time into his den? Oh, be not mad. Be not foolish. Did sin ever yield thee real pleasures? Did you find solid satisfaction in sin? And the answer from us all is no. None of us ever did. So why would we go back to living or walking in that state? Next phrase. But now. Right there in verse 8. But now. And I think that's a beautiful transition, right? That you used to walk in these things, you used to live in these things. But, but now, listen, verse 7, Christian in the room, is no longer true of you. But now, brothers and sisters in Christ, you had a relationship with sin. And you have a relationship with sin now. But that relationship has drastically changed for you. You realize that. Your relationship with sin has drastically changed. Think about it, a major, a major shift has happened, really. When you were converted, a major shift happened in your relationship with sin. In the same way, a major shift happened in your relationship with Jesus. In your relationship with Jesus, you went from hated enemy to an intimate friend. And in your relationship with sin, you went from intimate friend to hated enemy. You once welcomed sin. Now it's an unwelcome intruder into your life. Your relationship with sin has changed. Have you experienced that drastic change? You know what I'm talking about. You, you realize what I'm talking about. It's not that we're sinless. The relationship has absolutely changed. And in the past, during that time in the past, we're talking about but now, something's changed. In, in the past, 
This enemy called sin had dominion over you. He was your master. You had no power to kill sin. But now, verse 8, but now, having a Savior who has died for your sins, a Savior who's come to live within you, within dwelling of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ as your great high priest, with God as your Father, with a brand new heart, with, with the life of the resurrected Jesus flowing through, through you, you now have power to kill indwelling sin. But now, it's different. It's different now. You have power to kill sin. It has no dominion over you. It's not your master. Therefore, what do we do? Next phrase. You must put them all away. You once walked in them, but now you must put them all away. First notice the word all. You must put them all away. All. Kill all sins. Put to death all that is earthly within you. Don't discriminate in your sin killing. If there's some sins that you make war on, but when you but then you make a peace treaty with other sins, that's going to have consequences in your life. We make peace treaties with certain sins because they, they seem acceptable to us. They seem more acceptable to those sins that we make war on. Listen to me. That's going to have consequences in your life. And we need to examine ourselves in that. Are there certain sins that we're taking it easy on? Because they seem okay to us. They seem more acceptable to us. About prayerlessness. About irritability. About unthankfulness. Or pride. Lack of self-control, complaining, laziness. Do we take it easy on these sins? And right here it says you must put them all away. Maybe you don't show partiality towards certain people, but do you show partiality towards certain sins? God shows no partiality towards any of your sins. He hates all sin. He hates all sin. There's a saying, all sin He hates. So don't discriminate. In which sins to eliminate. He hates them all. So kill them all. I want you to notice this other word here. You must put them all away. Notice the word put away. It's one Greek word. One Greek word. Put away. Put them aside. Put them away. This is a word used for taking off clothes. Put them away. Put the sin away. Take it off. Strip it off. John MacArthur said this about this Greek word. As a person takes off his dirty clothes at the end of the day, so should believers discard the filthy, tattered rags of their old life. And this reminds me of something. I want you to think with me about this. It reminds me of Lazarus. When Lazarus was raised from the dead in John chapter 11. I want you to think about this. Christ goes to the tomb of a dead man who had been dead for four days. He's already been wrapped in his grave clothes, placed into the tomb, and his body has begun to stink while he's in his grave, grave clothes in that tomb. And think about what Christ does. With power like no other, Jesus, with, with tears, you remember tears in his eyes, he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And what do you think happens? The formerly dead man comes out of the tomb. He comes walking out of the tomb. 
Here, here's a question. What was he wearing? What did he smell like? When he came out of that tomb he had been in for four days. And it says in John 11 verse 44. Listen to John 11 44. It says, The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips. And his face wrapped with a cloth. Lazarus was miraculously alive, and yet he still had his grave clothes on, still smelling like a tomb, even though he's miraculously alive. And in verse, also in verse 44, Jesus continues and says this, Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes of that man whom I've delivered from the tomb. Take the grave clothes off of him and let him go. Lazarus. Lazarus, it makes sense to wear those stinking grave clothes when you lived in the tomb. But now you've been raised from the dead and you live there no longer. So take off those stinking grave clothes. See the picture? Lazarus, when you were dead in the grave, you had no power to do anything but just sit there in your odor, in your grave clothes. That's the only thing you had power to do. But now I've broken the power of the grave in your life, Lazarus. Arise and strip off those old clothes and that foul odor. Strip it off. You catching that illustration? What if Jesus would have seen Lazarus a few months later? And he still had his grave clothes on. What would Christ's response have been? If you're walking right now, if you get my illustration, if you're walking right now in nasty grave clothes of sin, it means one or two things. It means one or two things. It either means, number one, you're still dead in the grave and you have no power to strip those grave clothes off. Or, number two, it means that you, a raised from the dead Christian, are doing something just as ridiculous as Lazarus keeping his grave clothes on. And so the charge to us is strip it off. Put it away. Take off those tattered rags. You were once dead, but verse 8 says, but now you must put them all away. Dead in sin, but now you must put them all away. The next phrase in verse 8 the next phrase in verse 8 is going to be a list of specific grave clothes or specific sins that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to our attention to make war on. So look at the next phrase in verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So this list is a progressive list. It goes from the inner workings of anger and builds upon each other or, or progresses into these sins of harming other people with your tongue. I think these sins are very dangerous for many, many reasons. But one reason is this, is these seem much more socially acceptable in our eyes. So we tend to think they're less harmful. I think we might can make a case for them being more destructive than even the sins we looked at last week. I want to encourage you to beware of that. Beware of being lulled to sleep over that list of sins because your, your world around you and even much of the church around you sees these sins as more acceptable. Do not be lulled to sleep over this list. We're about to dig into it. I want us to understand each word 
and how they build on each other, how they progressively are laid out. So let's start with that first word. Anger. Anger. Now the word translated anger here can actually be a good thing in certain contexts. It's the same word that's used to describe the wrath of God, which is a glorious attribute of our Lord, the wrath of God. We're supposed to be angry over certain things. Christians are supposed to be angry over certain things in this life, injustices and sins, etc., other things. So there's actually a call to anger at some point. In fact, in Ephesians, our Paul tells in Ephesians, be angry and do not sin. But here in Colossians 3.8, we're talking about a sinful anger. Sinful anger. This word, it refers to a, a settled attitude of an angry person. Settled attitude of an angry person. Here's some other words that might uh, you know, awaken what's going on. What is this word, word speaking to? Because here's the reality. What do we so often do with, with God's words about sin like anger? We find some other word that makes it sound a little bit less offensive, right? A little less, more, a little more innocent. So here's some other words maybe to tie in to help us know what is this anger talking about? What about agitated, frustrated, irritable? It's this ongoing attitude of irritability. Think about God. Is he? It says in His word, He is slow. To anger, but this refers to someone who is easily agitated or easily frustrated. An angry person is not a thankful person to the Lord. An angry person doesn't usually know that he's angry, angry, but other people see it in them. The Bible says, in everything give thanks, but angry people learn how to make everything or gravitate towards complaining. An angry person would not be described as one who walks in what Peter called joy, unspeakable and filled with glory, a joyful life. No, there's an anger, there's an irritation that seems to settle on them. They won't be described as people that are full of tranquility or peace, but angry, irritated. This anger that we're talking about here is not so much the explosively uh, uh, mad type stuff, but it's the undercurrent of the life. It's an ongoing attitude. Now the next word is going to get into that explosive nature that flows out of this attitude of irritation, aggravation. So let's go to that next word. Wrath. Wrath. Now this describes the explosive overflow that periodically bursts out of an angry person. This word describes the passion of anger. The anger boiling up. The inflamed Anger. These two words show us the, the hidden the hidden anger, which is an attitude that boils up into the heat of wrath. Galatians 5.20 calls it this wrath fits of anger. Throwing a fit. The New King James Version, that same verse, calls it outburst of wrath. Outburst of wrath. And these sinful fits of rage that bowl up periodically, they come from an angry person's heart. Are you guilty of this anger and wrath that's mentioned here? Towards your wife, towards your children, co-workers, your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the world. Are you guilty of this? Are you irritable? Are you easily frustrated as a person? Is it showing itself in fits of rage in your life? 
Next word. Malice. This word malice, it means to look on another person with ill will. It's to desire to, to injure someone. I want to injure them. It can be physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, whatever. But it's, I, want, I want to somehow injure that person. It's a desire within you of ill will towards someone else. Malice is birthed in the heart when your angry attitude and your outbursts of wrath have begun to materialize into desires to injure the object of your anger. Now it's not just a general anger or wrath, but it's, but it's zeroed in on a particular object that I want to see harm come to. It's malice. And remember, this desire to injure doesn't necessarily have to be to physically injure. In fact, more often it's with our words. It's with the manifested frustrations that we pour out. That's what we're talking about here. When malice is in the heart, you may not yet be to the point of actually lashing out at this person. But the desire is there. And it's the desire for their harm. Next word is slander. This, this word refers to injurious speech. Speech to injure, injure someone. It's a, it's a speech to come against somebody else's good name. It's slander. Speaking out. Sinfully against someone. Think about this. The first place that this, this anger, wrath, and malice begins to manifest or show itself is where? In your mouth. Slander is what comes out. In your mouth is the first place that this attitude of anger and outburst of wrath begins to show itself in your mouth and your, on your tongue. Kent Hughes said this. These evil attitudes must be put away. If they are not, the heated metal of anger will be forged into the poisoned arrows of the tongue. I want us to be aware that these first three words, anger, wrath, and malice, they can very easily fly under the radar in your life. You understand that? In other words, at anger... It's an internal attitude that honestly probably just your closest friends in your life realize. It. At, at, at wrath, only those closest to you probably see those outbursts of wrath. And at, at, at malice, your anger begins to zero in on a particular object, but only those closest to you probably really pick up on the malice that you feel within you. And then suddenly you find yourself to be a slander like Satan. And I want us to be warned by this. You're not going to wake up one day and say, you know what I want to do today? I want to imitate Satan and slander somebody. That's not going to happen to you. But rather it's going to be this gradual, ongoing process of angry heart attitudes that go unchecked. And next thing you know, you're imitating Satan. Ephesians 4.31 says it like this, very similar verse of the same human and Godly author. Let, Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, that's the internal stuff, all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor and slander be put away from you. So the internal stuff has worked its way out into the external stuff of slander and clamor. 
And that clamor right there is to be loud, is to be, is to be noisy. In other words, those, those inner issues are becoming noisy and loud in slander for other people to hear. It's working its way out. That's slander. Let's go to that next phrase, last phrase. Obscene talk from your mouth. Obscene talk from your mouth. Now, the, the New American Standard Version... It says it like this. Abusive speech from your mouth. Abusive speech from your mouth. That's probably getting a lot closer to what the Spirit of God is trying to communicate here. Abusive speech from your mouth. Verbal abuse. The shift from slander to abusive speech right here. It seems to be a shift from secret, slanderous words to a more open version of slander. You don't care who hears anymore. At slander, the, the object of your anger may never hear your slander directly. They may never hear it. They might hear it through others. But your aim is to harm them by speaking about them to others in slander. But in abusive speech, the object of your anger is hearing directly from you these abusive words. Words meant to hurt, to tear down, and to injure. This is abusive speech from your mouth. You see the progression that we've gone from sinful anger to words to abuse and harm and hurt people. This is the list that we have here. Now let's talk about this kind of as we begin to... to Wrap some of this up. I want you to think about this question. What, what are we learning from that list? I want us to just pull away a few things that we're going to learn from that list of sins that we were given right there. First thing I want us to see, number one, that we should learn. We should learn that sinful anger is a very big deal. The world would have you believe it's not that big of a deal. Everybody goes through it. That's the way they would talk about it. But listen to me. It is a very big deal. And I'm talking to you like one down in the trenches with you, convicted of my own sin over these things. And I want you, I want you to come with me and see this. That it is a very big deal, this sinful anger. And if you see that, it will cause you to be zealous in killing this sin and destroying this sin. Think about why, why do I say it's such a big deal? Look at what it leads to. You see what it leads to in this progression. If you, if you maybe confess, yes, I have some sinful anger in me, but then you begin to pat yourself on the back that you haven't acted on it, listen to me. It's coming out. It's going to come out. The progression is laid out in God's Word, so you better go to war against it. Think of how destructive this stuff is all over God's Word. It destroys friendships, destroys parent and child relationships, destroys husband and wife relationships, destroys other relationships, destroys churches. It's a destroyer. It's a big deal to come against sinful anger. Listen to what the Proverbs says. If I read Proverbs... And I begin to collect things about sinful anger. Let me just give you a few. Proverbs 22 verse 24 says that sinful anger is a snare. It is a trap, a snare to you. Listen, make no friendship with a man given to anger. Nor go with a wrathful man. Lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. It's a trap for your soul that leads you to destruction. Is what Proverbs says. A big deal. Proverbs 14, 17. 
It says that sinful anger is foolish. Listen. A man of quick temper, quick temper acts foolishly. You want to be a fool? Ignore Paul's warnings to go after sin killing in this area of your life. It's foolish. Proverbs 29, 22. It says that men of anger are strife starters. Strife starters. A man of wrath, a man of wrath stirs up strife. This little culturally acceptable sin, it stirs up marriage killing strife. Child destroying strife. Church dividing strife. It's not something to play with. It's not something to toy with. In Proverbs 21, 19, it literally tells us that it's better to live out in the wilderness somewhere with mosquitoes and wild beasts than with an angry woman. Proverbs 27, verse 4, it calls it cruel. It calls it an overwhelming river. In other words, if you don't kill it, your relationships are going to be plunged into this river and taken away forever. You better believe that. You better act on it. This sin, is it a big deal? This sin was singled out by the Apostle Paul as a means through which Satan gets a foothold on your life. Listen to Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. So this sin is not a small stature. It is the gateway sin to destruction and satanic influence in your life. It is a big deal. Jesus says, Jesus Himself said it's as serious as murder. It's as serious as murder. In Matthew 5, 21, He said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. You've heard that? You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable of the judgment. But I, Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. It's as dangerous as murder. It's as serious as murder. Whoever insults his brother, notice the same progression in Jesus' words. We're going from internal anger to it coming out the mouth. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hellfire. So not only is it as serious as murder, but the consequences are just as brutal. So I hope we can all see the sinful anger is a big deal. <clears throat> Excuse me, there's something that we should not take lightly. The second thing I want us to see from this list is that the human tongue is a very destructive weapon of our enemy. The human tongue can be a very destructive weapon of our enemy. Last two words in the progression in verse 8, Colossians 3, 8, the last two words deal with the tongue. They deal with the tongue. God's Word commands us. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> God's Word commands us to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Those two things are coming together for a reason. Slow to speak and slow to anger. The tongue can be a deadly enemy. James said this. Listen to James's words. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. It's a world of unrighteousness. So I want us to take this warning 
about the tongue into our very souls. Our tongues, when they're fueled by the fires of anger within, have the power to destroy relationships, families, and churches. You better believe that's true. Don't see it as a small thing. It might be a small thing, but it can set a force to blaze. Psalm 141, I, I think when we really get this, we, we gain the heart of David. Listen to what he says in Psalm 141, verse 3. He praises to God. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Would you pray that? Would you pray that sort of thing? God, I want to kill this anger within. And Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Make me one slow to speak. And slow to become angry. I want us to be a people that realize that Every word we speak, we should speak in the light of the judgment that is to come. In Matthew 12, 36, he says this. Jesus' Jesus' words. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. I want us to live like that in light of the seriousness of this sinful anger and the seriousness of watching our tongue. Third thing I want us to walk away with, last thing here. We must kill it. We have got to kill sinful anger and everything that flows out of it. Are you convinced of that? And are you ready to go to war? Are you convinced of that? And are you ready to go to war? So let's ask this question again. So how? Let's be more specific about this sin. How do we kill sinful anger anger at its root? How do we do that? I've already, I've already mentioned starve it. Starve it. And overwhelm it with the means of grace. Overwhelm it with the weapons of grace that God has given you. But I want to be a little more specific here, okay? I want to be a little more specific. I want to tell you two things about how to kill this. First is this. You must gaze upon Christ and all that He has done to give you the forgiveness of sins. Being preoccupied with Jesus and His forgiveness will melt your heart of anger and silence your tongue of slander. You must gaze upon Him. When you see Him and preoccupied with Him, these other things will melt away. And I see that in Ephesians chapter 4. The verse we read a moment ago in verse 31. Verse 31 speaks against bitterness in us and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. But then it turns the corner in verse 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here's the phrase. Listen, what does he draw our attention to to kill this sin and to walk in holiness? What does he what does he move our eyes away to? Listen, as God in Christ forgave you. That's beautiful. God in Christ, as Christ has come into the world to die on the cross for our anger. All of our anger that's built up in the way that we've lashed out at others and had malice towards others. He was crucified for it at the cross. He laid down His life for your sin. And He says, if you'll just draw your attention there, it'll move you away from this sin, this sinful anger. Think about it. It's going to be hard for you to be or to remain sinfully angry with somebody. It'll be hard for you to maintain that anger towards somebody if you realize that the fire of God's anger towards you has been extinguished. It's going to be hard for you to go choke out that fellow servant when you realize the king has completely wiped your debts debts clean. So I think our minds should be on Christ. 
Second thing is this, and I want to draw your attention to something very practical. Turn to Matthew 5. I want to share this verse with you and then we'll pray. Go to Matthew 5, start in verse 21. It's a very, very practical response that Jesus calls us to in relation to this sinful anger and slander, among other things. Look at verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And we read that a moment ago. And you see the exact same progression from sinful anger to slander. And in verse 22, he gives us something very practical. So, so, Grace Community Church, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So here's a good response. That when we think about these things, and we examine ourselves, and we're asking God, by, by the Spirit of God, reveal to us these sins that you hate within us. God, search us and know us and see the wicked ways in us and lead us into the way everlasting. And one way He leads us in the way everlasting is He says, listen to me. You see this among yourselves? I mean, it, it even says, if you realize that your brother has something against you, how much more if you have something against them? And so what I'm getting at is there's reconciliation that needs to happen as, as a fruit or as a response to these sins in our lives. So I encourage you, what would be a practical response? That you examine yourself and you say, Lord, is there anything I need to do with this? Do I need to stop what I'm doing at some point? Do I need to lay things aside for a minute and go reconcile with my brother rather than just ignoring it and letting it go by? Do I need to go reconcile with my brother who's been marked by my anger, my malice, my slander, maybe even my abusive speech? This could be towards your wife. This could be towards your children. But would you go reconcile? Reconcile. And I want to encourage you to do this. We're about to pray. I'm going to pray for us over these things. I'm going to lead us out of that. I want you to pray with me. We're going to sing a song to the Lord. Okay? And I want you to ask. I'm going to ask the Lord this. And I want you to ask God if these things are in me. And because of these angers, because of this stuff, there's people that I need to be reconciled with that I need to do what that verse just said. I need to drop what I'm doing and reconcile my brother and sister. I want to encourage you, do not delay. Do that. You put it off, you won't do it. But to reconcile with your brother, if you feel like there's something like that that needs to be done. I mean, right when this meeting is over, after prayer, after, after we sing to the Lord, I don't care if you grab somebody right in the midst of it. But here's the rest. I, I praise God that He... Think about the unity that God has given Grace Community Church over these past four years. Man, He has given us incredible unity. It has been beautiful. and It's not perfect, but it's been awesome. It's been glorious. It's been an obvious gift from God to create a family of people that love each other so much. But we are not. We have not been immune to these things. This anger and this slander. We haven't been immune to it. And we're not immune to it now. And so because of that, I want to encourage you to, I want to ask you, to, to do you need to respond as it says here in verse 
23. If you were offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave it there. First go be reconciled with your brother. Let's pray. We'll sing to the Lord. Father, thank you for these words. God, I praise you that you, that you, you did it, Lord. You, you gave us forgiveness of sins through the cross. And so many of my brothers and sisters right here in this room, we're together. And we say hallelujah to you, King Jesus, that you have died for us. Thank you, Lord. We know our abusiveness, God. We know our slander. We know our anger. And we know that you laid down your life for it all. Thank you for washing away our sins. And I pray, God, now help us to realize this, this sincere reality. That you have changed, you have completely changed our relationship with sin. Help us to see that, God. Help us to see that you snapped the power of sin in our lives with your own, your own mighty hand. And I pray, God, that you would help us to fight sin in this place. Like Lazarus taking off and stripping off those grave clothes, God. I pray that you would help us, your children whom you've made alive, help us to strip off sin. Help us to kill it and put it to death, Lord. God, help us to be a people that goes after nearness to You, God. To be set apart to You. To see Your glory and to become more like You, Lord. God, don't, don't let us be filled with anger and malice, God. But let us be filled in this place as a family with love and mercy and grace and kindness and tenderness. God, fill our marriages with love and respect for one another, God. Please come against our anger, Lord. God, in our, in our parent-to-child relationships, God, Lord, I pray that You would fill us with love and mercy and grace and tear away the sins of anger in those relationships that destroy them. In our church, God, do it, please. For the glory of Your name, do it. Help us to set our eyes on Christ. And God, I pray that, that if there's ways that... And, I, and we know, Lord, that there are. We've seen it. God, I praise You for the unity that You've given us, God, but I ask You to hold us fast. Please hold us. And Lord, that there are roots of bitterness, God, represented in this room right now. Lord, if there's little sparks of anger that's there, frustration and irritableness, God, or wrath or malice and slander, if those things are there within us, God, if they're hidden, and most don't see it, God, I pray You bring it to the light. God, help us, each one of us personally, to see the wicked ways that are within us, God, so that we might turn away from it and walk with You. And God, give us the, give us the seriousness, God, the soberness, To deal with this sin. God, if there's places where reconciliation between brothers and sisters need to happen, God, I pray that you would make that happen very, very quickly. God, make us quick, quick, quick to reconcile, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.